This is a sermon from the Highlands Congregation of Park Church. We hope it helps you walk with the Lord and lead others to Christ. Learn more and find more resources at parkchurch.org. Today's scripture reading is found in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Again, that's Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Park Church. It's good to see you all, and thanks for those joining us online. My name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, Happy Mother's Day to the mothers in the room and uh, to the mothers of those of you who are in the room but also at home. Uh, Before we—I'm going to make a couple just comments about Mother's Day here in a moment. Uh, But before we do, one quick announcement. Next Sunday, it's May 16th, we're having a neighborhood cleanup day uh, to help clean up the neighborhood, especially here around the Highlands Building. So for those that are part of this congregation, we want to invite you to join us right after the 11.30 a.m. service. We're going to have a meal here at the building and then scatter out in teams and go throughout the neighborhood, cleaning up mostly the alleyways and stuff. As spring comes, normally just things have accumulated over time, and it's a good way to love and serve our neighbors in this neighborhood here around our building. Uh, Also, we're kind of canvassing the area to see if there's some basic yard cleanup kind of work that we can do just to help out our neighbors to show them the love of Jesus by the way we uh, serve and care for them. And so if you're interested in being a part of that, I encourage you to register online. You can go to our parkchurch.org, go to the events page, and you can register so we know how much food to be ready for and how many people to prepare for. But we'd invite you to come uh, with us as a way to just build community as we try to love and serve the neighborhood together. Um, uh, Mother's Day is a, is a complicated and emotionally complicated day. Uh, there are aspects of Mother's Day that can be really hard for many people and aspects of Mother's Day that are really beautiful and worthy of honoring. And so every time we kind of come to this moment as a pastor, I feel uh, a couple of different feelings. Now, I feel for those in the room for whom this is a hard day. And, and my own heart kind of like bends that way a little bit, just feeling the people that maybe are, have been struggling uh, to get pregnant or struggling with infertility or other unfulfilled longings to be a mother or for a family. Uh, my heart thinks about those who have lost mothers. I thought about my dad this morning who my grandmother passed away this past year and just like thinking about what he's feeling in this and may- maybe many of you who lost mothers um, in the past years who feel that grief. Uh, or maybe as a mother, you feel weary and, and just tired or you feel Maybe there's regrets. You have adult children. You have regrets. And in those spaces, Jesus sees you, he cares for you, and he loves you. And I'm so glad that you're here today. We get to look at Jesus today who has compassion for the hurting and for the weary. And he sees you in that place, and he he cares about you. And we see you, and we're so glad that you're a part of this family and the way that you image God and for you to be a part of this community is a real gift. And I also feel so grateful for the mothers in the room. Uh, for the ways that you beautifully image God in some really spectacular and powerful ways. I think often of Proverbs 31 
uh, which is such an abused passage. Um, many people in, in Christian history and in church uh, kind of culture use Proverbs 31, which is the, the passage that talks about this excellent woman or this excellent wife. And they use it to create like a bar that like this is what a woman or a wife is supposed to be. And it's just like an incredibly industrious woman that's like, you know, excelling in all these different spheres of life and out there just like using her life for the good of others in all these incredible ways. And people use that passage as like, you should be like this. And it contributes to the culture of comparison that is so prevalent in our city and in our kind of culture as a whole already, where you feel the need to be more than you are, like you should be doing more. When the reality is the passage isn't about kind of what a woman ought to be. I I like to think of it as the passage about the Proverbs 31 man who took time to thoughtfully craft a poem to celebrate the glory and the dignity and the beauty of his wife. Just to celebrate who she was. To celebrate the ways that she imaged God, the ways that she served, the ways she was worthy of honor. And sure, it can be something you can look at to get an idea of like, this is, this is beautiful womanhood. But what I think about, what does it mean to be a community where we see the women in our lives, the mothers and the women in our lives, and we honor you for who you are? For the ways you image God, his strength, his beauty, his glory, his dignity, his care, his compassion, his wisdom, his creativity, and all the ways that you do it and all the vocations he's given you, whatever those vocations are, that you're worthy of honor as you empty yourself for the good of others in whatever capacities he's called you to do that. And mothers in particular, you have emptied yourself in stunning ways, from pregnancy to delivery to raising young children to giving them life. In those early years, you're physically giving your life to give life to another. And I can't think of many things that show us the beauty of Jesus like that. As you empty your energy to give life to another being, that's super Jesus-y. You know, this is like the image of God beautifully. And as you continue to love and care for children as they grow and as they progress and as they leave your house and you have emotional energy that you're expending to love and care for your children, it's a beautiful way you image God's care, compassion, strength, wisdom, and glory. And I want to say thank you uh, to the mothers in this room and the mothers that all of you represent uh, as they've invested in your life. And so, so grateful for you. I'm grateful for the mothers in my own life, for my mother, my stepmother, and my wife. Um, and, and I don't know kind of a, a better way to do this. I'm leaving on sabbatical here uh, tomorrow um, and, and need to let you guys know that my wife is pregnant, uh, which uh, is exciting because I just don't want to show up in the fall with a baby and you'd be like, whose baby is that? And we're like, it's ours, but we never told you. Uh, and so uh, that's exciting. We're excited about that and excited about a new baby in our life. And I'm so thankful for the ways that my wife uh, and so many women in this community have just imaged God so, so beautifully. To see a community like this is stunning. And we're all better uh, for y'all and for your presence in this community. I want to thank you for it. Uh, for those for whom uh, today is challenging for whatever reasons, and I think for everybody, you feel different difficulties and challenges coming into a day like today. We get to look at Jesus today in his compassion, his care, his gentleness, his kindness, his love, his faithfulness towards people, especially in the midst of challenging places where people feel weary and beat down. And so we're going to ask his Holy Spirit to take the love of Jesus and bring it into the depths of our hearts in new and fresh ways this morning. So would you join me as we pray? Uh, Jesus, we come before you right now in need of you. We get to see your compassion. We get to hear about 
your compassion. We get a glimpse into your very heart. And I feel aware that these are things that we've talked about. Uh, These are things that many people in this room know about cognitively. We know about it intellectually. We know about it theologically. But we need to feel it. We need the reality of your compassion and your love to make its way deeper into our souls. And so, Holy Spirit, would you strengthen, think about Paul's prayer in Ephesians, would you strengthen our inner being to know the beauty and the power of your spirit within us, that we would know the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of your love for us, and that it would change us to be people of compassion, people of love in this world. And we pray that it would give us hope and that that hope would extend to bring transformation and renewal to the ends of the earth, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you will, uh, open up your Bible. We're going to dive right into the passage because it is a beautiful, uh, beautiful passage where, like I said, we get a glimpse into the heart of Jesus. And I want to bring you right into two words that I think uh, are key words in the passage. This is Matthew chapter 9, we're going to look specifically uh, at verse 36. Lost my page here. Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 36. Here's what it says. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Harassed and helpless. Potentially a, a better way to translate those words and the idea behind those words could be weary and beat down. The, the first word has this idea of just exhausted, like nothing left at the end, like mangled, weary, like losing steam, losing heart. And the second word is like something that's happened to you. You've been beat down. You've been beat down. And so the image I had in my mind as I was studying these, studying these words was uh, like a boxer after nine rounds of like an intense heavyweight fight where you're feeling there's like a black eye and there's a cut under the eye and a puffy lip and there's like an internal pain. So there's like visible pain and there's kind of hidden pain and there's just general exhaustion after nine rounds of giving everything you can just to stay up and stay on your feet and make it through. And so you're sitting in your corner and you're wondering if you have enough energy to even stay in the ring and you're wondering if you need to throw in the towel and you're just feeling weary and beat down. Or in the image, the metaphor in the image given to us is of Jesus as a shepherd over sheep. And so you imagine a sheep who has kind of been navigating through a storm and they're feeling uh, the storm has weathered them, that they're cold, they're shivering, they're wet. They've been bitten in the leg by a wolf. They got caught in a thicket and so they're scratched up and they've lost some kind of, of their wool on their side and they're kind of been separated from the rest of the flock and they're feeling isolated and lonely. They're not sure where to go. They can't find food and they're just feeling depleted, worn down, weary, and beat down. And when Jesus looks at the crowds that he's been ministering to and he sees this endless cycle of people that are coming before him, person after person, community after community, city after city, village after village, and he's seeing the crowds. What he sees is human beings who are weary and beat down. And I think this passage is very apropos for the season that we've been going through as a society. And just generally for life, trying to navigate the complexities and the difficulties and the challenges of this world that many people feel weary and beat down. 
Surely there are times where we feel like we don't show that visibly, where we feel like we got to button it up and go to work and kind of like be who we're supposed to be and kind of like get through. But internally, so many people feel a latent anxiety or depression or weariness or exhaustion just at trying to make it another day and, and do the next thing. You're going to wake up tomorrow and go back to work and, and people feel the weight of that. You're navigating life with kids. You're navigating life with roommates. You're feeling the tensions in society. You're feeling isolated and weary from just an ongoing season of a pandemic where they've they've been socially distanced and isolated. You're feeling just kind of a weariness and exhaustion at an emotional level from the traumatic news that you see here, news cycle after news cycle, another painful experience, another brokenness in the world. Then you feel the sort of emotional and relational exhaustion from the animosity and the polarizing effects of the divisive ways we've tried to approach those tensions in the world. And the sum of all of that, the cumulative toll that that takes is that it leads us as a people to feel weary and beat down. And that's just real. It, it just is. Not everybody feels that in the same ways. There might be moments where that settles on you heavier than others. There might be times you feel more burnt out or less. But these are things we all navigate. And in this passage, Jesus meets us in this place with incredible, incredible love. What I love about this passage is it's honest about that human experience, and it shows Jesus sees you in that space. With whatever has hit you, the things that have kind of worn you down, the things that are exhausting you, the things that are burdening you or crushing you or feeling kind of like, I don't even know if I can get back up and stay in the ring anymore. I'm so beat up. There's the visible stuff, but he sees the invisible stuff, the internal things that are kind of working in you, and he feels compassion for you. Like his heart breaks for you. His heart moves towards you with love and compassion. I don't know if you've ever felt that before, like this moment where somebody is speaking to you, and it's like, they see me, and you feel seen, Maybe for the first time, it's in some conversation with a spouse or a friend, or you're hearing somebody talk about something and you feel seen, like somebody sees my experience in a way that just penetrates you kind of in a a fresh way and your eyes kind of well up and you like feel it like a, a moment of just feeling seen. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage, that he sees you as you navigate the challenges of your marriage as you feel the weariness of finals week, as you work to find a job after college, as you struggle with relational divisions, as you feel tension with your extended family, your parents or your kids, you just feel weary. You feel weathered. And in this passage, Jesus meets us. In the heart of this passage is Jesus meeting us in that weariness with compassion and with hope that he has compassion for the weary and he's bringing hope into the world. And that's good news for us. It's beautiful news that ought to kind of lift us up a little bit. It doesn't deny the reality of the pain, but it meets us in the pain with compassion and hope. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at the two kind of metaphors that kind of frame up this whole passage, the metaphor of the shepherd and the harvest, the shepherd and the harvest. And we're going to look at what Jesus is doing, how he's meeting us in these spaces to bring compassion and hope into the weary and beat down world. And so would you join me again? We're going to look at this uh, first verse here. First thing we're going to see is that Jesus has compassion on the weary and he's come to lead us or to shepherd us towards renewal, towards renewal. I have in my mind, as I think about this passage, um, the 
Psalm 23, where the Lord is my shepherd, and he's leading us beside still waters into green pastures. He's restoring and renewing our soul. That's what he wants to do for us in this moment. So look with me. Uh, We're going to start in verse 35, and here's what it says. It says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. This is what we've been looking at for the past several weeks. Really, all spring, we've been looking at Jesus doing exactly this, going from village to village, city to city, big population density areas, kind of smaller rural areas. And as he walks into these areas, he's coming, doing primarily two things. And these themes have come up over and over and over throughout the Gospel of Matthew. He's proclaiming news about a kingdom. A kingdom. He's seeing people that are trying to live their life separated from the presence of God, and he's sharing the good news that the kingdom of God, where people can be reconciled to their maker, can experience his love, his joy, his peace, his security, his kindness, and his nearness, that they're kind of welcomed back into the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus comes, he's bringing the good news. The kingdom of God is here. You can be restored to God's presence. You can be restored to his family. You can be restored to community. And he's sharing that news. He's proclaiming the good news about the kingdom. But he's also showing them the power of the kingdom as he's healing everything that's been broken by human rebellion. He's healing physical disease. He's healing social stigmas and shames. He's reconciling people to community. He's forgiving and cleansing people. He's healing people of spiritual and emotional brokenness over and over and over, showing the restorative power of when you come to Jesus, you are reconciled to God and you get to experience the transformative power of his love. And he's doing that. And I want you to get the image of Jesus day in, day out, wake up, go into another city, and and people begin to hear this news, and they've maybe caught the rumors of his arrival, and these huge crowds come, and just healing, and cleansing, and teaching, and healing, and cleansing, and teaching, and healing, and cleansing, and teaching, and healing, and then he goes to bed. And he wakes up the next day, and the crowd's huge again. There's more people the next day. And he's healing, and he's teaching, and he's cleansing, and he's healing. And in the midst of all this, from city to city, village to village, he looks at this crowd, and what he sees, his assessment is, the world is broken. That people are weary and beat down. They're weary and beat down. And he's seeing this particularly in a kind of first century Jewish culture where people are experiencing this on two fronts. They're experiencing it on the sort of legalistic religious culture of that really marked a lot of first century Judaism where people felt the need to be perfect before God in order for God to come and save them, in order for God to come and rescue them, in order for God to come and deliver them from the Romans. They had to follow all the laws. They had to do all the sacrifices. They couldn't eat this food, couldn't get in proximity with this person. If they actually got near this person, they'd go have to do some ritual cleansing over here and they couldn't mess that up. And if they did this wrong, they'd have to bring some animals to the temple to sacrifice and they couldn't mess that up. And they just felt all the things they needed to be for God to welcome them into his presence and to save them from their affliction. And that religious culture of all that you need to be in order for God to love you was crushing them. It was crushing them. That a religious system that needs you to be something in order to receive God's love and to actually have access to God's relational presence is crushing. It's crushing. But simultaneously, they were being crushed by kind of the secular society around them. By the oppressive culture of the Romans and by the kind of 
kind of culture of advancement that the Roman society had, that they're bringing industry and civilization into all these different communities, but they're doing it in ways that were just stamping people out with crushing tax policy, where the people had a difficult time making ends meet, difficult time providing for their family, keeping a roof over their heads, navigating just the tension of living in a society where there are oppressive Romans, and then there's the oppressed Jewish people, and there's pain and division and animosity, and even with the Jewish community, there's division. And so it's just socially, just knowing how to make it socially was exhausting for them. And this is the culture. And I think it really is a microcosm of the culture in which we live. That there are religious systems that seem to kind of offer us like, hey, if you do these things, you know, you can satisfy some kind of deep longing within your heart. You can feel kind of good about yourself. And you feel like, have I been a good enough Christian? I haven't been doing that well, or I haven't been doing this well, or I bet I need to do this, or God's probably disappointed me, and I need to clean myself up, or I've made some mistakes in my past, and so I need to make up for it by doing X, Y, and Z thing. And just feeling, generally speaking, like God might be disappointed in you. And that in order to experience God's love, His compassion, His kindness towards you, His gentleness towards you, you need to be something. You need to be who your spouse expects you to be. You need to be who your parents expect you to be. You need to be who your small group expects you to be. You need to be who your roommates expect you to be. And the energy expense in being who you think you need to be leads people to real weariness. And then in society, there's this culture of the kind of life you need to live the life you need to have, the lifestyle that you need to get to, some benchmark of, if I could just get to this place in life, if I could, if I could just get a job after college, if I could get, get a family or, or a marriage, if I could just get a, a raise or own a home or upgrade my lifestyle or get in a better situation here, or get my kids into a different school here, and all the sort of like energy we put towards building the life that we're supposed to build, and that as we look at those around us and we compare ourselves to others, it just seems like the bar is just always a little bit further. It's always a little bit more. It's always a little bit kind of like further out there. And so you expend all this energy. And the, the net effect of that, the cumulative result of that, is a human population that's feeling weary and beat down. Some of you don't feel it yet. You're just getting out of the gates. You just left the finish line. You're like cruising, you know, and it's like you're running it like it's like a hundred yard dash and it's like 10 marathons ahead of you, you know, and, uh, and you don't yet feel the weariness. But the system of the world, the world's kind of like approach to life will crush you. The world, the culture of this world can never give you the life you long for. It can't. It is incapable of delivering on its promise. The secular kind of promise that you can have a satisfying, kind of abundant life apart from God's presence is a lie, and it can't deliver. And it will ask of you more than you would ever expect, and it will not give you ever what it has promised to give you. And this is life east of Eden. This is life away from the presence of God. That when human beings said no to the reign of God, we were exiled from the presence of God, and all we're doing in this world with different religious systems and cultural systems and structures is we're trying to find a way to experience security, community, acceptance, love, meaning and purpose, all of these things that can only come in relationship to the God who made you, the God who fashioned you, who gave you a soul, who gave you meaning, who gave you love, who gave you rest, who gave you wisdom, who gave you his family. He's saying 
all of the things that human beings long for are found in relationship to him, trusting in his word, walking in his presence, following his wisdom for life. It's the only place satisfaction is found. And as a human race, we have all turned away from that, and we are all forging our way, trying to construct life apart from the presence of God, and that system of living, that approach to life will lead you to a place of feeling weary and beat down. It will crush you, and I've felt it. I've felt it even in Christian ministry. I've shared multiple times how on two particular occasions, but kind of they were cumulative toll a few years ago, just felt so, so weary and beat down, where passages like this would make me weep, would make me weep. I have a wonderful family, wonderful wife, kids that I love, uh, a community that I enjoy, but my approach to living, my approach to trying to be all that I felt like everybody needed me to be and God needed me to be and to kind of hold things together the way that I needed to, to do it and needed to do it all well and needed to do it all faithfully, like little by little, the weight of that was crushing me and it felt like an inescapable burden. I didn't know how to get out of it. And I'm going to be honest, I, was, I wasn't ever suicidal, but I was multiple times at the point where I thought if a truck would just veer across the road and end this, I'd take it. And that's a dark spot to be. It's a dark spot to be to feel like this just isn't fun. This isn't life-giving. I felt empty, depleted, weary, and beat down. And some of you feel that today. Some of you sit here today or sitting at home today and you feel empty. You're sitting in the corner after nine rounds and you're like, I think it's time to throw in the towel. I don't know how I could get up and do it again. Another Monday for you is like, another day at a job, trying to even give energy to a marriage that's felt like it's lost its steam and you don't know what to do anymore, feeling another day with your kids or just walking through life with regrets and pains. It just feels like it's too much. And in that space, Jesus sees you. He sees you. What he feels in his heart for you is compassion. Like deep, gut-level compassion. That's what it says in this passage. It says he had compassion for them. The word compassion is weird. Splagnizomai. Can you guys say splagnizomai? No, don't say it. It's, it's, a, it's a hard Greek word. But it's, it's a word that is talking about the internal organs, the gut, the intestines. It's saying deep in his gut, he is moved when he sees you. Not with contempt, not with disappointment, not with figure it out. Why are you messing it up? Kind of get back on your feet. Let's go. Not like a coach that's like pep talking to you. He sees you with compassion. Like he understands the pain. He feels the weariness. He doesn't say you messed this up. You made a muck of your life. You kind of like, you know, did all these things wrong? Maybe, that, maybe that's real. Maybe we made mistakes. We certainly did. The Bible is clear about that. But in this passage, it brings us into the heart of Jesus. And it's not condemnation. It's not disappointment. It's compassion for a weary and beat down world. He loves you. 
and he moves towards you. I, like I said, I feel those times where so, it feels like somebody sees me, like somebody sees me, and, and how that can just like pierce into my heart in ways that are fresh. Like I've been praying all week that you would feel that from Jesus today, that he sees you. He sees you exactly where you are, the stuff inside that you don't even want to look at yourself, the anxiety that's just kind of like ambient in your life. It's just like this white noise of anxiety that's just there, the depression that's just latent, and it just exists like a wet blanket that's just there, and occasionally you kind of come up for breath, but you just feel it. He sees you, and it's like his heart's like, I love you. I love you. And as he moves towards you in this place, what he's offering you is not a get back on your feet, let's go. He's saying, come to me. All you long for, for community, for acceptance, for love, for somebody who sees you, who cares about you, who, who knows you, who gives you security in my love, that my love for you isn't contingent on how you're doing. It's this secure, stable, ever-present reality that you can experience today. Today, you can experience the love of God. You can drink deeply from the well of his love. You can know peace in the midst of chaos. You can know security in the face of instability. You can know acceptance in a culture of division. You can know rest in the midst of a culture of exhaustion. Today, as you come to Jesus and experience his compassion and his love and his attention towards you, it is beautiful that Jesus has compassion for you. But he also has compassion for your neighbor, and your coworker, and the person who took a different approach to that divisive issue, and for the person on the side of the street, and for the extended family member, and the, for the person that when you think of them, you get irritated and contemptuous and angry, or the people that you don't have any feelings towards, that you feel apathy, he has compassion for them as well. And as human beings experience the compassion of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the tenderness of Jesus, the gentleness of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus, that he wants to fill us up with his spirit, his very spirit, to be people who show that compassion to others, who look at the world as divided as it is, where there's so much animosity and so much division, so much tension, especially right now, and Jesus is saying, I have compassion for the people that you have contempt for. He has compassion for them. He doesn't see them as idiots who don't know anything. He doesn't see them as those people that, you know, don't agree with you and can't get it right and don't care about XYZ issue or whatever it might be. He sees them with compassion. He sees their weariness. He sees them feeling beat down. And he loves them. Just loves them. That's hard for us. We want a Savior that's like with us in the kind of zero-sum tug-of-war match for the world. And he's not with us any more than he's with others. He's for us, but he's also for your enemy. With compassion. It's a beautiful, stunning passage. This is what Dane Ortland said in Gentle and Lowly. He said, only as we drink down the kindness of the heart of Christ will we leave in our wake, everywhere we go, the aroma of heaven and die one day having startled the world with glimpses of a divine kindness too great to be boxed in by what we deserve. And I love that. When we drink deeply of God's kindness and compassion, 
then we can spread the aroma of his kindness, the aroma of his compassion that will startle the world. It'll startle the world, and the world is hungry. It's hungry for that kind of a people. It's hungry for that kind of a savior, a compassionate savior, and that's what we see in this next verse, in verse 37 and 38, that the world is ripe for renewal. The world is ripe for renewal. Look at what it says. It says, Then he said to his disciples, this is while he's feeling compassion for the weary and beat down world. So he looks to his disciples and he says, the harvest is plentiful. Like the fields are ripe. Like people are hungry. And this is true of our culture. That our city is hungry. What everybody's looking for is meaning, acceptance, love, community. Kind of like this freedom from inescapable kind of baggage and bondage. They're longing for these things. And what Jesus has come to do is to liberate, to give love, to give acceptance, to give forgiveness, to give reconciliation to God and to his people, to welcome people into a new community, a new kind of kingdom. He's come to give the world exactly what the world is longing for. Exactly. And we are in a moment in culture right now where people feel the brokenness of the world's approach to life probably as much as they have in decades where the world's system just got kind of revealed to be kind of a system that does not work. It does not deliver on the promise. Our best efforts as a kind of human civilization, apart from the presence of God, to build a utopic environment, have utterly failed. And that has been seen for what it was in this past year. And I think Jesus would say, the harvest is plentiful. People are hungry. They just need to know. They need to know that there's a good shepherd who sees them, who loves them, who knows them, who can lead them a different way, a different way than the ways that the culture has been leading them towards pain and destruction. He can lead them to streams of water that give life. He can lead them to green pastures that restore and renew the soul. He can lead them to the life everlasting. He is the good shepherd, and the good shepherd came not to steal, kill, and destroy, but he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus said that. He said, I am the good shepherd, and I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. He leads us in a whole different way of living that's free from the sort of destructive patterns and rhythms of the world. And so what does he do? He says, the world's got to know. And so step number one, look at what he says. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Jesus isn't going to, like, personally go around from village to village, city to city for centuries and proclaim the good news and heal every disease. He is sending his people full of his spirit to be a part of this spreading of the news of his kingdom, spreading the news about a good shepherd, a gentle shepherd, a compassionate shepherd, spreading the news about a different kind of kingdom, a different kind of God, a different kind of culture. He's wanting to spread the news, and he wants to spread the news through his people. And so the first thing he does is not a strategy session. The first thing he does is not like a big kind of recruitment office, set it up. The first thing he does is he gets down on his knees, and he prays. And he tells us to do the same. Look at what he says. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray. Cast yourself in dependence on the Lord of the harvest. 
Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The world is the Lord's. The people of this world are the Lord's. This is his world. He loves it. He has compassion for it. He wants the world to know I've offered a different way. I'm readmitting. I'm welcoming people back into my kingdom, back into my presence, back into this. I'm giving amnesty to a world that has turned from me. I'm giving forgiveness to people that have run away. I'm giving healing to people that are weary. I'm giving cleansing to people that feel stained. I'm giving rest to the, to the weary souls. I'm welcoming people back in. They just need to know. And so we lay our lives down and, and we get on our knees before the Lord of the harvest and we say, God, send us out. Send out people to share the good news of the kingdom to this world because the harvest is plentiful. Your neighbors are ready. Your coworkers are ready. The city is ready. The nations are ready. They need to know the good shepherd. And we have the news and the mission given to us isn't go and Burn yourself out doing this. It's know his compassion for you. Know his love for you. Know his nearness towards you. Walk in his presence. Rest with his good, healthy rhythms for life. And then lay yourself down on your knees before God and say, God, send out laborers into your harvest. Bring in a harvest of transformation and renewal to the city. Change the city of Denver by the power of your Holy Spirit. And here I am, Lord. How would you want to use me? How could I show your compassion and your kindness to my neighbors? How could I share the good news of your kingdom to my coworkers? How could I embody the sort of transformative life in ways that give hope and kind of a, a compelling alternative to the system of this world, to those that I interact with? How could I spread the aroma of your grace in the world that you've called me to live in? How can I be a part of what you're doing to bring in a harvest for your kingdom? And this is where we're called to engage but not to earn something before God. And that's what I love about this passage. That Jesus as the good shepherd isn't saying, do this to earn my love. He's saying, I have laid my life down for you. He is the good shepherd who sacrificed his life for the sake of his people. He's the kind of shepherd who would become a sheep. And though we like sheep have gone astray and we've wandered every one of us our own way, he took upon himself the iniquity of us all. And like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so as he walked to his own slaughter, he opened not his mouth. And he sacrificed his life as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world so that through his sacrificial death, we could experience his incredible covenant love for us, the security of his love, the nearness of his presence, his washing, his cleansing, his renewal, so that we could be people that are free, free to know love, to know compassion, to know joy, to know his kindness, and then to be a people who extend it in this world as those who bear his image and radiate his glory everywhere he calls us to go. May God help us to be that kind of a people. Let's pray together. Um, Jesus, we need you right now. Uh, we need you uh, to help us to know your compassion. As much as we talk about these things, uh, we still so quickly jump into guilt and shame about all the things we feel like we need to do better. And would you protect us from the lies of the enemy that keeps kind of repeating these things over us? His, his voices of shame. These messages that lead to exhaustion. Exhaustion. 
And would you help us to hear your words over us, that you see us and you know us and you love us. A friend, he sees you exactly where you are. And he knows you. He knows what's going on inside your heart. He knows where you feel apathy or indifference, where you feel weary, where you feel beat down. And he loves you already, right now. He loves you. God, we want to know your love, uh, but also want to be a people who embody your love in this world. So would you raise up from us, from among us, laborers? I want to pray earnestly to you, the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into your harvest. It's plentiful. The world is hungry for you. Would you help us to be available? Would you give us renewed joy and energy and hope and compassion? Would you wash us from the culture of contempt that has flooded this place? Cleanse us, renew in us a a gentleness and a mercifulness and a kindness that gives the evidence of your spirit Would you help us to be people who reflect the glory of our compassionate Savior in a world that's hungry for you? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media. Find us with at Park Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at parkchurch.org. Peace and love.